Webcology starts now only on Cranberry Radio. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Sixteenth of February, twenty seventeen. This is uh, Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and uh, we got an interesting guest today. We have Jonathan Allen, the uh, co-founder and president of uh, I, I, I love the name of this uh, of these guys' company of a uh, Long Neck and Thunderfoot LS LLC, or uh, as they, they they call it LNT. Um, before we get to Jonathan. We've had a, a lot of stuff happening in the news this week. Uh, how you doing, Dave? I'm doing fantastic. How about you, Jim? I'm okay. It's one of those days. You know how it is. I do. I think had everybody entire, in the audience does. That entire website disappear for absolutely no reason about two hours ago. Oh, there was a reason, of course. The too much you know, memory allocation on the on the server was too low, and somebody uploaded a whole bunch of pictures, and suddenly there's no memory left the server, so the website just completely disappeared. Uh, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess I face a similar, not that specific scenario, but I think everybody, you know, who works on the web at some point has hit those weird, like, okay, now this is what I got to deal with. You got it up before the show, I assume, got it fixed. Oh yeah, it's fixed. Yeah. It's funny again, oh, the images are all gone, all that sort of stuff. It's just been one of those days. <laughs> so you're not doing this entire show, going, I just want it to be done so I can get back to what I need to do because <laughs> the clients panic. Oh yeah, have you ever actually had that happen where you like have a show in the middle of like a serious crisis and you have yeah, to have have the whole time? <laughs> and we all have, and then during commercial breaks, you're quickly trying to hammer back emails to developers. <laughs> you know, we've been doing this for like ten years. That's never happened to me, but I can imagine it happening. <laughs> I just had like you know girlfriends call panicking about stuff, or like you know. Um, the, the credit card company calls and you have to hold them up to the microphone while you're while you're doing the show so you can impress upon them that they really shouldn't be calling you at this hour. They have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> they don't need to. Speaking of folks who have no idea what the hell they are uh, talking about, uh, you know, I think that's actually that's us. Because we keep saying we're not going to bring this story up again, but we got to bring it up again because stuff happens. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how this. Ha- I don't even know how this happens anymore. But apparently, Yahoo was hacked again. Mm-hmm. This is a couple things. One, there are still Yahoo email addresses left to hack. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, two, um, Yahoo is still getting its ass hacked. I mean, seriously. Although, I mean, in Yahoo's defense, this did happen. Oh, I don't know. A year ago, <laughs> um, and they're just getting around to telling people um, that as recently as last year, you might have been hacked. And, um, so there you go. And uh, a forged cookie may have been used to hack um, tens of millions of Yahoo accounts in uh, 2015 or 2016. Isn't that wonderful? In related news. Um, because, hey, we're on the subject of Yahoo right now. Um, 
their the deal with Verizon still looks like it's going to go through. It's been cut three hundred million dollars, according to the Wall Street Journal, or wow. about three hundred million. So as, as of when? Uh, that was as of this morning. It, it crossed my uh, my radar. Oh no, they had published it at uh, four sixteen uh, yesterday. So. Okay, so it I is think that that's another haircut coming off the top of the uh, original price. I think it was four point six billion that Verizon was going to buy them for, and this uh, three hundred million to get yet another haircut off the top of the original price because that's probably what the class action is going to cost them. Yeah, that's probably about right. <laughs> Seriously, and it, I mean, it's a, I think people who might be like, you know, newer listeners to Webcology or people who might be newer into the industry uh, might wonder at the incredulity we have over like these Yahoo stories. But you got to understand, Yahoo was like the powerhouse at one time. Um, It was the technology company. Um, Very much so. I remember with that Titanic, it was such a good boat. I loved it. Loved it. They've had crystal and stuff on the ceilings. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. no. Well, no, and I, I mean, you, it's a very good point. I mean, I remember when I was first, you know, cutting my teeth here in SEO. Yeah, Yahoo was a source. It's funny because very quickly Google was taking over, but the traffic from Google even was coming in from from Yahoo. They were just powering Yahoo at the time. Well, and 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 well, MSN now Bing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's it was interesting. They were the traffic source. Uh, their directory actually mattered. Um, and now, yeah, they're, they're selling for, for pennies. Like I think about the amount of the number of pages that they have of good quality content in a lot of cases and go, you know, if they're being paid per page of really good, you know, in, in a lot of cases, really good copy, they're earning nothing. <laughs> like I, I, we could not hire any copywriter to produce that kind of content <laughs> in that volume uh, on a per page basis. So uh, Verizon, I, I get it. They're probably just hedging their bets on lawsuits. I imagine they were buying the properties and, and you're right. They're probably going, we're cutting the price because that's what we're going to end up having to pay out here. Um, and cause we can, because you have no other buyers and here we are. <laughs> so <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say about these, about Yahoo anymore, except boy, we wanted them to win so badly for so many years and they just won't. Yep. Um, two stories about AI in the news this week. One of them fun, one of them incredibly dense and uh, way worth the read, but way long. Um, to the fun one first. So Google has um, developed a game for... Uh, did you know that, that, that Google has a whole division de- dedicated to making sure Skynet doesn't happen? It's not surprising, but I did not know that. That out today, Google actually has at least a, at least a division of one or two researchers whose job it is to sort of like plan out video games or plan out scenarios or just try to get their AI to do stuff to test how far the AI or what the AI will do to accomplish its uh, its goals. And they made a game called Little Green Apples. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You, you heard about this? I, I have seen this. Yeah, I watched the video of them playing each other. So they got. Uh, you know, one red, one blue player, and uh, their job was to grab as many little uh, green squares or green apples as they possibly could, um, making sure that they got more than the other one. There's a finite number of uh, little green apples. 
As an added twist, just to make the game fun, they gave each of the AI players a laser gun that they could shoot at the other uh, player to momentarily disable the uh, the other player as, as, as they were both going after the same as an apple. It didn't take the AI characters long to figure out that shooting your opponent means you get more apples than your opponent does. And so um, very quickly, the AI learned to like think tactically and strategically and, um, I guess, the equivalent of quite violently. Yeah, it was, it's interesting to watch for, for our listeners. Yeah, you can go in and you can, you can watch the videos on it and it's, it's actually it's an interesting watch in a in a weird weird and quasi frightening way uh, when you consider that yep the AI is quickly figuring out that by punishing somebody else and or, or destroying somebody else that you can you can win more and now we've got AI producing AI as of a couple of weeks ago that announcement came out that Google's using its AI to build AI because it can do it faster and better it's like well how fast until we lose control of that to a thing that is perfectly content to destroy something else. Well, um, again, don't forget there's at least one or two people at Google who are working to make sure this doesn't ever happen, Dave. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I, I'm assured. Now now I feel, I feel relieved. <laughs> okay. Like it or not, AI is happening. And AI is becoming a... Uh, you know, an essential part of the, 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 the AI is becoming the search environment that we all live and work in. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of our, a lot of webcology over the last uh, year, couple of years, has been what is this AI stuff and what do we do about it? What's, you know, how is it going to change the world that we, we, that we work in? Mm-hmm. Great piece in uh, Search Engine Journal got published uh, yesterday. No, sorry, it got published earlier today. I search how will AI transform the landscape of SEO, published by your friend and mine, uh, Jeremy Jeremy Noth. And uh, I don't know, have you have you had, have you had a chance to read this yet? I, I did. I, I did actually. Um, I'd read it uh, a couple days ago, um, just because uh, uh, Jeremy was asking, "Hey, can you get a quote for this?" Um, and yeah, I, I found it to be quite an interesting piece. It's actually got me thinking of, of a few different things. I'm like, oh, I got to ask him. And hey, Jeremy, if you're listening, this is me asking you um, <laughs> whether I can write a supplemental piece on top of it that just sort of expands on on a couple of the areas of, of my interest in uh, in the piece. So I won't get into into details there, obviously, but because um, I'm still formulating what I'd like to do with it. But yeah, it's a it's a great piece for for. Anybody, like all of our listeners, head over to Search Engine Journal, and it gives you a really, really solid core understanding of what AI means. Yeah, and it's a long read. I mean, this is a good uh, 20, 25-minute read, but he uh, takes it from the very beginning. Where were we? Where are we now? Where are we going? And what does this mean? Um, actually, kind of like the structure that we've been trying to put these shows together. Um <laughs> So, and he gives a link to a Webcology episode, the one with uh, Cindy Crum and the Mobile Moxie crew from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, which is great. So, um, again, I think it's it's really too much to try to go over unless we actually have uh, Jeremy on the show, which we, yeah, I think we had him on a couple weeks ago. We should probably have him back again because this, uh, this article wants to be unpacked, but... It's one of those ones. I think, honestly, it should go on the list of required reading for SEOs. Um, 
There's a lot of speculation in here, but the speculation is built on solid premise. Indeed. So um, definitely worth reading and thinking through. Oh, definitely. Definitely. A really, really good read. And then in, in highly related news, yesterday was the TensorFlow Dev Summit uh, down, in, uh, down in Mountain View. Um, and they're just releasing um, TensorFlow 1.0, like the, you know, anytime something goes 1.0, it's like, okay, <laughs> you're ready now. Um, and they're actually going to be releasing some code. It was, it was discussed at the summit. Um, they're going to be releasing some code in the, they didn't give an exact time, but I assume in the coming weeks, that'll multiply some of the speed functions of the neural networks that they're developing by 58 times. Um, so they're going to be rap they're going to be giving developers uh, a tool to, to or some code to rapidly increase the uh, abilities of the the neural networks that they're that they're developing. So um, it it's going to be exciting to see what uh, what the developers can do with, uh, with with AI now and with TensorFlow. Remember back in the day when you were happy just to like you know like uh, speed up your computer by overextending your chips or something? I mean yeah. seriously. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I can get another, I can get another six months out of this video card if I do, you know, do this or that in the settings. Um, okay, we have time for I think one more before uh, we have to go to a break, and then and then we'll have Jonathan coming on. Um, Miley, Miley, Oily, haven't uh, I haven't spoken to her for quite a while, but uh, she released a video on how to hire an SEO from Google and. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the big takeaway I think every SEO will get out of this is her comment um, that you should give your SEO four to 12 months to work on your rankings. And yeah. all I can say is, where was this video at the beginning of my career? <laughs> I had to work this as a, you know, a sales point to, um, to, 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 to all the contract maintenance uh, maintenance work that, that we got. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I think every SEO is like, oh, finally they've said it. Um, you know, the, the thing that we all have known all along um, and have had to try and pitch. And now you can go, okay, here's a video. Watch this video. <laughs> here's where they say it. Um, you know, which is, is going to be quite helpful. So thanks. Thanks, Google, for passing that one out there and, and setting slightly more realistic expectations. Yeah, so that, that was published in the SEM post uh, two days ago and at uh, Search Engine Land yesterday. Again, Miley Oily, Google's um, new video on how to hire an SEO consultant. Do Brilliant. We, what do you reckon? Have we got time for one more? or? Uh... You know, I can fire through a quick one because people can, can go heading into their, uh, you know, into their Facebook ads and, and give it a test. Um, you probably saw... I, I, Fired in a dancing banana. Um, Google is now see that dancing banana. What the <laughs> hell did you do? What, what is this doing on my screen? I, I was just doing a quick test um, to make sure that it was available in Canada as well, and make sure that I could actually duplicate what uh, what was being talked about. Um, and now in Facebook ads, um, you can use animated gifs instead of it's it's in the sort of video section. Like when you're you're creating your ad, you would select video, and it'll actually pop up with like a you can use animated gifs now. Um, so you can use animated GIFs um, in your in your Facebook ads as of uh, it was just a couple days ago. So um, you know, in, enjoy your ads and maybe don't make one with a dancing banana that says peanut oh, butter jelly time like I did. FFS, <laughs> please do not use the peanut butter and jelly time dancing banana. Um, 
I was tortured by 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 the dancing banana early in my career, but that's 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 too long and boring a story, especially when we have so many fun commercials coming up. Um, friends, we got to go commercial because we actually have Jonathan Allen from Allen T waiting uh, waiting on hold. We want to get to him as quickly as possible, but before we get to Jonathan, we got to get to this. Uh, friends, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davis from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. You're listening to Webcology on Cranberry.fm. It's the 16th of February, 2017. We're back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after a short break. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Where affiliate marketing gets its buzz and mobile has its presence. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. Takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. This is uh, Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, joined by Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And Dave and I are joined by Jonathan Allen, co-founder and president of Longneck and Thunderfoot, or LNT for short, Jonathan is a search and social marketing specialist and uh, 
He's a former director of Search Engine Watch and the uh, Search Engine Strategies Conferences. Under his stewardship, the Search Engine Publications readership grew to over 1.4 million, and it won the Gold Asby National... Actually, that's kind of cool. It won the Gold Asby National Award for Online Excellence for a newer relaunch website from the American Society of Business Press Editors. Uh, Jonathan, you should be really proud of that, and welcome to Webcology, bro. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great to, great to be on. And yeah, I'm really proud of that. <laughs> You're the uh, co-founder and president of an up-and-coming uh, branding ad search online digital marketing agency. Does the uh, the time at uh, Search Engine Watch and SES, does that feel like a million years ago? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was basically, yeah, it was three years ago. But a lot of that experience has been really formative in, um, you know, what we're doing at L&T. Um, and, you know, basically what we do is like the same... All of the things I learned about, you know, running an editorial team and developing like daily content uh, for SEW, we now basically have the same kind of structure uh, and basically create a newsroom for clients so we can get them kind of up to speed on daily blogging, help them develop their agenda, all that kind of thing. Okay, so you're basically herding cats, except you're doing it in the private <laughs> sector. <laughs> Instead of doing it like, in a much more public way in, uh, uh, with, uh, at SEW. Yeah, I mean, the thing was, like, there was a couple of things, like, with SEW, the most kind of interesting bit was curating everyone's expertise and kind of, you know, one of the, you know, behind that award, um, I think like the big victory was kind of convincing everyone that, convincing the industry in general that actually, you know, a good strategy for, you know, a good way to compete in that uh, news space was to to represent multiple voices and try and get all of their expertise heard. Um, and, you know, and that kind of principle kind of at the end of the day applies to everything. You know, most companies um, run their blogs through, you know, a kind of social media intern um, who doesn't have the most interesting insights to share with the world. And so what we're saying is, well, why don't you get like your top people in the company to write and, you know, we'll curate their ideas and their perspectives and work out what the news angle is and help get the best voices on your blog uh, instead of talking about, yeah, cats all the time. Okay. <laughs> um you got a lot of experience with with people who are, you know, uh, uh, assigning roles in their offices, and um, you, you, you've worked the trenches in digital media for um, almost two decades now. Years, um, yeah, yeah. So the web, the commercial web, as we know, is twenty five years old. Blogging is uh, fifteen or so years old. Digital marketing is twenty twenty five years old like, from the beginning of the commercial web. Why is it still such an afterthought? I mean, like, as as you said, you have like you know the uh, social media intern running running the voice of the comp the digital voice of the company on the blog why is it still such an afterthought still that's a good question i mean you know partly it's that old adage you know that the industry is changing so much that a lot of people in kind of core core roles and kind of you know companies that are, have already worked out how to make money offline they don't really have the kind of time and bandwidth and don't even know where to start in terms of uh, keeping up with the changes. I mean, if you think about like, yeah, the last time we were all hanging out like this uh, at SES, um, you know, three years ago, like actually tons has changed uh, in that, you know, in those three years, like our relationships to social media, search engines, that's all changed. Our relationship to live video, r live content like this, that's again gone through a new revolution. 
And I think, like, at the end of the day, a lot of people just want to go home to their kids and have a nice dinner at the end of the day and don't necessarily want to learn all this stuff. Um, but in that respect, they go out and hire kind of, you know, kids to teach them. And actually, those kids are kind of learning on the job. And I think what's interesting is, like, in the last three years, you're seeing a sort of kind of cementing of a kind of broad and general idea that everyone can apply. Um, you know, I think like what I've found running LNT in the last three years is that basically now people understand the missing bits of information they have and what way to fill it in. Yeah, it occurs to me at the same time that um, we do have we do have younger people like uh, uh, developing the new generation of marketing, but the world that they're working in is changing so so rapidly around them. Um, you know, much much like actually, I think much faster than ours did around us at the beginning of our careers. Yeah, uh, absolutely. How do you? And um, this is this is an open question because I think it's it's kind of Terry incognito. None of us have been there yet, but. Looking ahead at, you know, voice search um, and uh, uh, what feels like is becoming a much narrower web, um, mm. how do you keep, like, the, the stuff that works, that the, the hooks from the, old ad, from the old advertising age now and uh, just a few years previously, moving into a future that uh, seems so small screen and, uh, 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 you know, again, confined with, with voice search? Yeah, so... Um... That's an interesting question. So, like, it's a big question. I apologize. It's huge. For that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, terra incognito. I love that phrase. Um, you know, I think like what's happening is, you know, before we had, um, you know, a web that kind of resembled the real world. Um, so it was kind of easy to understand it, and then it kind of uh, turned into. So, you know, the web kind of was like a sort of virtual bricks and mortar. But then there was a kind of phase, um, you know, from sort of 2009 onwards, where it sort of went purely into a completely virtual environment. Mm -hmm. And now I think we're at that kind of, you know, at the other end of that kind of curve, where now it's, it's completely, you know, its own space. Like, I hate to use the word cyberspace, but it really has become a cyberspace in the purest sense and doesn't have the same reflection on the real world that it used to. Um, and now it's kind of like, I feel like, you know, for instance, the election, Brexit, all these things like fake news, all those kind of, um, we're having kind of a, a new impact. It's changing the way we behave. So you've got trends like vertical video, um, AI, you know, AI's come out really as a kind of, way to solve the problem of the web just getting so big rather than it solving a kind of in my opinion core need voice search mm -hmm. is a, another example of like it fracturing um in terms of like use cases of where the web can kind of be omnipresent in our lives um and that's the thing like basically what's changed is you can get it in more places than you ever could before uh, and, you know, when I got into this, there was no smartphone. Um, and, you know, from 2006, there was like, you know, you could upload a photo via MMS. But, yeah, the changes, say, since sort of, you know, 2012 onwards, it's like the Internet is literally pervasive everywhere now. Um, yeah, sorry. 
Oh, no worries. Uh, Dave, you, you, you had one you wanted to jump in with. Yeah, does this, I mean, uh, you're bringing up some interesting points, and Jim, I, I love the question. Does this make SEOs in the trenches, be them technical, be them content SEOs or, or whatnot, does it increase the value then? Because, I mean, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I, I think about my daily activity versus, you know, back in the Google Dance days where it was like, okay, we're good for six weeks because that's really all, <laughs> like, there's nothing I can do really to, you know, I got to work on stuff, but that's it. There's nothing really for me to follow until the next update, and then I'll have to analyze that, so I just get to work. Now we have to wake up every morning, as, as I do, I'm sure, you know, all of our listeners do, and start ransacking what's changed on Google's mm. end or Facebook's end or whatnot, does that make us more valuable? And how do you, how do you pass that on and, and explain it properly to a client that, yeah, I actually have to bill you for the two hours I have to spend every day just to keep up? Yeah, I definitely think, like, you know, we're going to see a renaissance of SEO uh, this year. Um, and I think, like, there's been an interesting shift where, like, you know, Google and Facebook have been heavily uh, focused on quality control and kind of SEO was like the enemy in that kind of situation. But now, you know, with AI and stuff like that, they're trying to tr um, solve quality control algorithmically. Um, and so, you know, we don't have like the human quality raters factoring it in as much and that kind of thing. And I think that, you know, you've then got this interesting shift where the press, the tech press, and I'm, I'm going to almost sound like Donald Trump here, but like uh -oh. the tech press <laughs> kind of don't represent the changes uh, completely in the right way. Like the discussion on AI, for instance, um, focuses way much on the, it's very kind of futurism and solutionist, um, but it doesn't ever kind of talk about the problems like that it's actually trying to solve. And so, you know, there's this perception that, uh, every algorithm update is totally designed to just eliminate the impact of SEO. But actually, I would say that, um, you know, Google's actually trying to solve way bigger problems than that, that come down to like core issues of relevance. Now that, yeah, I can, you know, search from my car via voice and, um, you know, you know, tablets, you know, there's a million different way you know my my access to information and my information needs have are changing faster than any of the problems that seos create and i think the tech press you know is is a bit guilty of like making um you know ai and fake news not really deepening the discussion and not interpreting it so that's where a lot of us with all this experience of like you know, hands-on experience uh, I think we still have a massive role because we can actually sort of contextualize all of the changes over time um, and like tell you the truth about what these changes mean. Now, I, I love when we have guests on who've been like, like yourself, like been in the trenches long enough to see sort of the ebbs and flows and remember the strategies of, of, of old <laughs> and what we have to do now. Do you think SEOs, like the the, 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 the real, uh, well, I'll call them real, like the, the talented SEOs, the ones who actually understand, are actually in a better spot now? I mean, you're, you were touching on the fact that we, you know, Google's sort of getting a better handle on dealing with fraudulent links and things like that, or, or problematic links. I'll call them fake links, just to, to go to the, the Trump uh, analogies here again. Um, you know, if they can get the sort of spam dealt with, 
um, you know, you, using AI and start focusing more on quality, does that give a, a, a greater role for, for people like yourself? Or, you know, I like to think me to focus on what we've told people to do all along, but we would end up fighting against gray and black hats and, and lose that battle because Google didn't have their, their crap together. Um, you know, does, does this create new opportunities for us? I definitely think it does. First, uh, you know, um, user signal is really important. And, you know, we've all debated that for, what, you know, 10 years now. But I think with, with like, rank brain, there's no point kind of really worrying about any other, other factor. All the other factors are definitely complicit, but user signal, i.e. what gets clicked, is the kind of final sort of judge and jury of every other algorithm, you know, ranking factor. And, you know, that's important because there's a whole kind of question about what is relevance in general. And actually, relevance is a very instinctual thing. It's not like, um, you know, the reason things like the Turing test exist is because it proves that um, we can't actually, as human beings, tell you why something is relevant. It just kind of feels relevant and seems relevant. Um, and um, I think that's an instinct that we all have uh, from the years that we've been doing this. Um, and the other thing is that most companies only ever focus on their results. They don't focus on the kind of picture of the web uh, in general um, and kind of what, what it looks like in general. And that's something that SEOs see all the time, right? Free ranking updates and that kind of thing. Um, and the other really weird thing is that people just completely don't pay attention to keyword data. Uh, and keyword data is like still the most, you know, I'm not talking about rankings, but it's still the most useful thing of knowing what someone is searching and what, you know, what someone is looking for uh, when they discover your business. And I think that's the thing. It's like, there's so much going on that companies need, need help in thinking about this. And most, and so, you know, I, I definitely see like, for instance, one of the, in our sales pitches, we say our best clients are people with expertise in-house and a lot of ambition because we can help them succeed. No, I mean, there was, a, there was a lot to cover there and I know we have to go to break soon. So I'm going to lock onto something you said earlier on because it's a shorter answer and then we can get into the bigger answer. <laughs> Um, you had talked about clicks, right? Like that Google, yeah, what Google cares about is are they providing that correct experience and, and correct set of results for, for their users? Now, I've, I've always been impressed. I, I don't ever have never considered myself a black hat, but I've always been impressed with their brilliance in some cases. Are we going to see that being the new battleground of black hat is is you know not just the you know, fake click that you can just fire through easily, but actually, you know, smart ways of say using tensorflow to, to use their own tool against them and come up with ways to actually send signals on user behavior um across to uh across to google um that may not actually exist in hopes of bringing up the rankings i mean uh, definitely yes is my opinion i think you know uh competing ais is like a kind of technological destiny of any of building any any ai at all and yeah, so rank brain and all that AI, machine learning stuff is going to cause a renaissance in traditional SEO, uh, but then black it creates an opportunity for black hats to create yeah competing AIs um, 
to fight against it. So I, I definitely think, yeah. In which Google starts monitoring our program again and punishing us for saying the wrong things. Thanks, guys. Okay. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to have to ask you to stick around for a few minutes because we got to take a break. Um, it's 22 the hour on the uh, 16th of February, 2017. You're listening to Cranberry. You're listening to Webcology on Cranberry.fm. This is Jim Head from Always Media. Dave Davis from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And we're speaking with uh, Jonathan Allen from Allen T. We're back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Browse through our complete library of programs at cranberry.fm or on demand through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Google Play. Don't worry, you can still access all of our great webmasterradio.fm programs at cranberry.fm. Refresh your bookmarks today to Cranberry Radio at cranberry.fm. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. A more refreshing kind of talk radio. Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. Webcology takes you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Dean. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It's the 16th of February, 2017. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davis from Beanstalk. He's at March. And Dave and I are joined by Jonathan Allen, co-founder and president of uh, LNT and... Uh, what does LNT stand for? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, it comes from a children's story uh, called Long Neck and Thunderfoot. And it's basically about uh, two dinosaurs that are scared of each other, but have to collaborate to survive the extinction. And uh, I just, A, I love the kind of, I just love the name. And B, I felt it was a kind of good analogy of how companies need to adapt in a digital age. They got to stop competing and start collaborating with each other. Okay. Well, 
Um, when I think of, I don't, I don't know why, but when I think of L&T, I think of the uh, quote by Seth Godin, all marketers are storytellers. Um, yeah. Our job is to help unpack people's, uh, you know, the, 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 the people's stories, people's best faces, people's intentions, and, you know, tell the world, help people explain to the world what they're trying to do. Um, how has storytelling in the form of marketing changed over the last three years you've been involved with L&T? Great question. So, you know, running a search engine watch, one of the things that I kept noticing was that I kept getting pitched uh, by PR professionals, God bless, um, you know, stories that were just not that interesting and I didn't want to write them and I felt like my audience, you know, didn't want to read them either. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in that process, you know, you have to build relationships. I mean, the fact that they were even asking, you know, suggesting a story uh, was worth acting on. So, um, you know, basically I'd pick up the phone and say, listen, this press release you sent me isn't very interesting. Um, you know, no one cares whether you hit X amount of uh, users if they've never heard of you and that kind of thing. Um, but I say, can I have a chat with, you know, the CEO or CMO or whoever and kind of just find out more about their thinking in general. And what I found was, is that as soon as they could kind of go off piste a little bit, um, actually, experts at all, you know, people at all levels of the company were really quite passionate about the problems they were solving. Um, And, you know, they had a lot of insight into the direction of the industry. And what I found was it didn't matter what their kind of niche was. They could say something interesting about the digital world. And uh, so I started to write those stories uh, on SEW and found that they, um, you know, they, they were read really well. They actually turned out to be really popular. So I started calling them like human interest business stories. Um, and that's when we, uh, so when it went on to L&T, uh, that's what we say. We're like, listen, with the internet, you can now find audiences for your most sophisticated ideas. Whereas in the old days of print and the press, you had to simplify your ideas to reach people. Online, anyone can find you. So actually you can lead with your most sophisticated. Um, So to answer your question, we're all about, um, why don't we tell the the sophisticated complex story online? Um, Because that's really, that's actually much more interesting. One of the hallmarks of like say the baby boom and uh, uh, Gen X, Gen, the generation Baby Boom and Gen X is uh, we know how to use cameras. We know exactly how to talk to a camera. I'm wondering about uh, uh, the uh, Generation Y and Millennial Generation. Um, if these folks are uh, just prime for telling stories on the web, they just know how to use it in almost instinctually or inherently. I definitely think so. I mean, one of the things that I've been interested in uh, kind of this year, uh, and, you know, we're only two months into it, but is just vertical video. You know, vertical video was something that you would have written off, um, you know, in the, over the last three years, you talk to anyone about vertical video and they'd just be like, you're doing it wrong. But actually, when you start to kind of uh, try it for yourself or you do FaceTime and just, you know, increasingly you're using it anyway, actually you do find that there's a certain intimacy um and what i'm finding very interesting about kind of say our millennial employees uh is the way that they think about um content in general like they don't think of it as in terms of static monolithic things they think of it that continually 
kind of evolving process and all that kind of like um, sleek production um, that we're used to millennials don't really care about that as far as I can tell you know they they like that authentic experience and you know you see that with you know all these kind of YouTube stars and that kind of thing like it's a pretty unpolished experience um, and actually I've, one of the phrases that you know I've been using is live chilling now it's about live chilling rather than live streaming now, you had talked, and, and you bring up a, an issue I think every SEO has hit, um, which was, and you'd put it in the context of this press release. Now, we're, we're definitely in an environment, I mean, everybody has access to pretty much everything all the time. So, to me, I, I see this, and then one of the challenges that we face as marketers is, mine needs to stand out because this editor, for example, in a press release is being inundated with so many <laughs> press releases and whatnot, mm. mine needs to, to somehow rise to the top of that. And I couldn't help but think, as, as, as you were talking about it, is this a, a return back? Do we have to take lessons from our, our traditional marketing roots? I remember working at Radio Shack through college, and yeah, you would describe how something is a solution to their problem and put that phone, in, you know, that cell phone in their hand to sort of give them ownership of something that would solve their problem. Do we need to now paint that picture rather than the old days when, yeah, you could just sort of jam you know, a press release at them and they only got four that day. And so they're going to struggle through and try and find a story. Now they're getting 400. Is that, is that sort of the, the scenario we face? I, I definitely think there's an interesting thing, right? So um, actually today we're doing a Future of Journalism event in New York and um, it's been really popular. We've got like 180 people signed up already. But one of the interesting things is like business models, um, publishing business models change the way journalists can behave. So, you know, fake news is just as much is less it's not that journalists like failed everyone uh, and that's how fake news emerged it's actually that uh, the business model uh, and has failed uh, you know failed society and allowed you know fake news to kind of crop up and stuff like that so how that relates to your question is you know now we have this situation where journalists are kind of forced to pursue the trending story because that's the thing that has the biggest impact on the business, which means they don't have time to really think about the kind of, you know, more nuanced uh, investigative uh, story or one that affects a very small niche, but is, you know, has huge ramifications. Um, so I think now, as you say, you know, to use your analogy, you almost need to put the entire story in their hands and help them get their head around it and take it kind of 90% to the finish line so that they can then go, you know what, I am willing to represent this idea and then run with it. And then you kind of almost need to sort of double down and help them keep developing that beat. Um, so actually, you know, again, a big part of l and is like, we believe that we can help journalists develop uh, their beats more fully. And that's why they might con consider kind of reading, you know, business blogs owned by a company and that kind of thing. Yeah, how do you, um, how do you actually get your clients material in front of in front of these journalists how do you get them how do you get the people who might propagate your clients ideas to pay attention okay i mean it's it's kind of like uh there's no winning formula right um i think the, the a lot of it, connections so or? there's there's that yeah personal connection i mean and i don't mind admitting that because that's how pr has worked you know for oh, nigh on 100 Indeed. years um but actually the way we see it is like Write on your own blog, start telling the complex story there, and then 
um, see if you can generate interest readers, you know, see what reactions you can get, see if there's any kind of metrics you can put behind it, like break a kind of beat into three stories and see if like you can measure kind of what aspects of the story people are interested in. Um, you know, ask people to kind of be guests and that kind of thing or provide commentary. And once you can kind of curate a topic, then um, you can kind of pitch um, a journalist that you've seen talking about a similar beat and try and simplify a lot of your kind of insights and research for them. And hopefully, and it, this rarely happens, but hopefully they might link to you in, in their story. But um, all of that kind of heavy lifting in terms of understanding the area, you've done for them. And not only have you done it, but you've published it. So there's a sense, I think, like, you know, publishing it online kind of at least um, solves the problem for them of, like, is anyone reading this at all? And, you know, can I back up my sources? So you have to take a little bit of a risk. One of the things I'm often saying is, like, you know, companies need to move from sharing to daring and, like, dare to kind of own their positions in the market. And Trump's, Trump's nicely brought that out in everyone, actually. Uh, Trump is... Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> what are the, 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 the... On your website, on the, on the contact area of your website, you, it's noted that um, L&T is present in uh, New York City and St. Louis. Yeah. I remember uh, about, what was it, six, nine months ago, um, maybe even a bit longer, uh, you moved to St. Louis. Why? Why, why St. Louis? For a start, we're a bootstrap company. So I, you know, I had a choice. It's like, do I pay lots of expensive New York rent or do I look for somewhere cheaper? Um, and so I started looking around. And one of the interesting things was I saw that there was a grant to, um, you know, move to St. Louis and open your office there. So it was kind of like a backup plan. But in the end, um, you know, I've been in New York for six years and I just thought it'd be interesting to kind of check out like middle America. And actually they've got a very supportive uh, ecosystem there and they're trying to use digital to like raise the, the wealth of the city. Excellent. You, you like St. Louis? It's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I've got like a kind of Disney. Um, I've got a lot of Disney animals in my garden, if you know what I mean. Like there's hummingbirds and squirrels and possums and all that kind of stuff stuff you don't get that in new york <laughs> <laughs> not at all indeed jonathan we are out of time but man this has been a fun interview it's been great having you on the show so um thank you so much for joining us today brilliant thanks so much for having me it's wicked to yeah catch up again uh so friends if, you, if, if, if you're looking for if you're looking for jonathan online you can find him at l and t.co the lamps.co on behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You've been listening to Webcology on Cranberry.fm on the 16th of February, 2017. Stick around Cranberry.fm. We're back. Uh, we're back next week. There's great content after the news. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited.